Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Book Lounge. Today, we are talking about *The Road Back to You* by Ian Morgan Cron and Susan Stabile. Your hosts are myself, Corinne Ritchie, and typically Tom Butler Bowden. But for today, it's just going to be me. You're welcome. Um, so uh, our general aim here in the book lounge is to talk about books that can uh, advance your work, your life, expand your mind. Uh, and typically Tom gives his take as the curator on why he chose the book. So I'll make sure we talk about all that good stuff. And uh, we'll also talk about highlights from the book, why it's relevant. And I'll update you with the latest news about the title and the author. Now, for the most in-depth knowledge on this book, The Road Back to You, um, I recommend two things. One, the podcast is brought to you by Memoed, so be sure to check out the 10-point savable, shareable 10-point memo on this book. There will be a link to it in the show notes. And we also recommend that you listen to the Book Insights episode on this book. That's going to be a more detailed summary, overview, and analysis of the book. But here in the Book Lounge, it's more of just an informal chat about the book of the week. Um, if you're not familiar but with The Road Back to You, it's basically an uh, ancient personality analysis tool known as the Enneagram. So that's what the book is all about, explaining the Enneagram. It categorizes people into nine different ways of seeing the world, which result in different positive and negative attributes um, to themselves and the different energies and different ways that they sort of gravitate uh, towards in the world. So to explore this topic with us, we are bringing on a guest who has written extensively on the Enneagram, including a devotional book. She's a certified Enneagram coach and influencer. Please welcome Jackie Brewster. Hi, thanks for having me. Thanks so much for being here. Um, Jackie has this amazing Instagram, which we will link to in the show notes, Enneagram with JB. So excited to have you. Thank you so much. I'm excited to be here. I love to talk about the Enneagram, so it's, this should be fun. <laughs> perfect, perfect. Same. Uh, I am also a big Enneagram fan, so been looking forward to this episode for sure. So can you give us a little background on yourself and sort of how you came to the Enneagram and the book? Sure. Um, I have studied the Enneagram for a little bit over 10 years now. My girlfriend, uh, we were on a walk with our kids and mine are a little like Houdini kids. I could get out of anything. Mm -hmm. And, um, and I think she was like, Oh my gosh, I, this, I've got to figure out a way to help this woman. And so she sent me this, this book, um, not throw it back to you, a different Enneagram book. She sent me, um, this amazing book and it started the journey of me thinking like, huh, the things I thought that were wrong about me maybe are not wrong about me or the things that I couldn't understand why I did what I did or maybe parts of me that I didn't even realize I did, you know, just that this is who I am. So what's the big deal? Uh, and then I recognized like, oh, no, 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 no. These all have patterns of behavior and they come from somewhere. And so it, it just permissioned me to kind of deep dive in my own life. And so from that, I went on to become a certified Enneagram coach, um, author and speaker. And so I, I love Loved to help people uncover and discover parts of themselves through Enneagram awareness um, and biblical truths. I'm a Christian, so I like to use that perspective too. Uh, I really think that information is amazing, but information is not transformation until you activate the information in your life. So I really like to help people activate the information so that they can find um, and have some real life change. That's amazing. So what do you think about the Enneagram sort of resonated with you and made you go, oh, this is this is something legit. This is something worthwhile. Like what was the aha moment? 
I, I took the test, you know, um, in the beginning of the book that I had. So I took the test and I was like, well, I mean, maybe that's me. Um, and I didn't, I'm not actually the, the number that I tested mm. because a test is not hundred percent accurate, 75% accurate. If, if that it's really personality. So it's, there's no blood work, you know? So right. it's really you doing the work and discovering, you know, reading and reading. So I think there's parts of it that were like, oh, okay. But it was when I read the words frantic escapism mm. under the Enneagram seven that I was mm. like, oh my gosh, this is me. Mm. And, um, and it wasn't that I was frantically escaping my life. It wasn't bad. It was just chaotic. And it was, I had four children and my husband traveled and everything just felt so big. And so, um, when I read those words, I, I think for the first time felt like there's nothing wrong with me. This is a coping strategy. Mm. It's not a healthy one. Sure. But it's a coping strategy. And so that, I think, propelled me in to go deeper and just learn more about myself and, and try to make some sense into um, why I felt stuck or why I couldn't complete tasks or what, you know, why, why, all the whys to my own personality. That, along with a ton of counseling um, and then some really good training, I think that's the, the things that draw me to Enneagram awareness and, um, and some of the other work that I do. Oh, that's amazing. And I know that since then, you've helped, you know, tens of thousands of people via Instagram. I know your, your Instagram on the Enneagram is, is huge. Um, what about Enneagram clients? How, how long have you been sort of professionally in the Enneagram world? And um, do you have an estimate on how many people you've, you've helped with it? Um, I have been coaching clients for about three years, maybe four, actually. Um, and you know, I don't know. My, my assistant could probably give you a good number, but I just don't, I just am in it with my people every day. So I see clients full time, Mm -hmm. um, nine to four every day, hour sessions back to back, um, with, you know, a couple minute break for myself in there. But otherwise, um, I, that's what I, I live to do that, to talk to people, help them uncover and discover, see where they're stuck and hear their story, help people enter into the journey of uncovering, um, discovering about themselves. So it's really the journey of, so, um, I'm thrilled and privileged to be a part of that for so many people. Um, but I don't know lots of people, lots and lots of people. I am on a waiting list. So I, I see lots and lots of people. That's amazing. Yes. So to give a little more of an overview for those of you who are completely uh, unaware of what the Enneagram is or what the road back to you is all about. um, Basically, like I mentioned, it's a it's a personality test that divides people into sort of nine different uh, categories and they are numbered. So one through nine. And they're also divided up into triads. So you've got your feeling triad, you've got your gut triad. And uh, what am I forgetting here? You've got your. um, So um, on the triad, you are thinking, feeling, gut. Yes. Ah, there we go. Yes. Uh, so also known as the fear triad is that that other one that uh, that I mentioned. So feeling, fear, gut, and, and they have a few different names, but essentially um, types two, three, and four are all one triad called the feeling triad. And then five, six, and seven, um, I've got them here as the fear triad. That's what the road back to you calls them. But uh, what's another mm. name for the fear triad? Is so it- it's thinking. And that's the mm. thinking triad mm. uh, would um, I like that better maybe than the fear triad. Yeah. It's a little like yeah. you're going to think things through your, through your head first, and mm. um, which I can understand. I know why, why he named it that, but, um, yeah, that's a thinking. That's, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it makes sense. I, I, I can see how, uh, sevens I wouldn't think of as like in the fear triad for sure. It seems a little, 
it, it's funny. I'm a seven in Enneagram right. seven. And, um, it's even the way that he describes it. It's true that no, we don't look like we operate from fear, but almost everything we do is based off of fear mm. of keeping ourselves safe and protected and best ways to do that. Mm. Be positive, happy, let's go mm. kind of mentality. But yeah. Yep. Got it. And then, uh, the gut triad are part of Enneagram numbers eight, nine, and one. Mm-hmm. Um, so essentially, uh, if for those of you who, again, are just trying to familiar yourself, familiarize yourself and wrap your head around this whole thing, um, if you've read anything like the love languages or um, there's a few other similar sort of pop psychology books that they they act more as like a lens through which you can view other people. So uh, it's nothing like astrology. It's nothing like it's more like the Myers-Briggs kind of a thing where you take a test and then from your test you get a result and uh, like Jackie said it's not going to be a hundred percent accurate but it gives you a place to start and say okay well what about this personality type does and does not resonate with me and then either you can kind of think that the test is correct and sort of stay there or uh, you can keep exploring until you find the one that that really does explain um, sort of your true motivations the good and the bad that you uh, bring to the world and that you are drawn to most frequently Um, how do you describe the Enneagram to people who are completely unfamiliar what's your uh, elevator pitch on it (laughs) so interesting right Uh, most of the people that I run into are familiar with it here in Nashville it's pretty hot topic Mm. Um, but the you know when I talk about the Enneagram. It is a personality typing system. It is an ancient personality typing system. Um, but the way that we have used our, or the way that we are using it here in the States is we're overlaying some psychology on it. So we're really looking at like, why do you do what you do? So nine different personality types, nine different ways of viewing the, the, the world, and none of them are wrong. Mm-hmm. It's okay for you to view the world through your lens. Uh, what we want to open up is some empathy and compassion for you to understand that the rest of the people probably don't view the world the way that you do it, and that's okay. Mm-hmm. And so kind of opening that that window up for people to really see. Um, but it's just, it helps you, I say this all the time, uncover and discover parts of yourself. So when we talk about the Enneagram and the awareness it brings, it's really looking at patterns of behavior. So our patterns of behavior develop as early as the age of two. Why do we go out into the world? Um, and, and, you know, the ways in which we go out into the world to get love, to get our needs met, to keep ourselves safe. And so these patterns of behavior develop and then uh, we continue to, to build on them and grow on them so much so that when we're adults, this is just who we are. We don't know any different. And so the Enneagram really helps us to strip back all of those pieces and see like, where did these patterns come from? Why did we feel like we needed this? Um, and then I do a lot of work around, um, looking at the patterns and thanking the patterns for serving us the way that they did when they did. And now maybe we can let go of some of them that are not serving us so well or keeping us held back now. So that's kind of how I talk about the Enneagram. Interesting. All right. So, and if we want to give people like the quick version of all nine, shall we walk through? I mean, we talked about the triads a little bit. So uh, that feeling, thinking or fearing and gut kind of thing. Uh, But maybe we can give people, you know, a couple of lines on on each of the nine. So they have some sense of, you know, sort of what we're talking about. Um, And also, I do want to mention that, uh, you know, I talked about how it's similar to the Myers-Briggs, but there are some really different 
pieces of the Enneagram compared mm -hmm. to the Myers-Briggs uh, and things like the five strengths and other of those like personality tests where um, those can be a, a bit more sort of cold, scientific, standoffish. The Enneagram, uh, like Jackie said, it has roots in Christianity and ancient religion. Um, so it, it, it has a connection to the seven deadly sins and each of the nine uh, personality types of the Enneagram, they don't only talk about what you're great at and the things that come easy to you and the good you're capable of bringing in the world, but it has the flip side of the sins or the um, things that hurt yourself and others that you most naturally gravitate towards. So before we kind of get into it, I just want to put that out there that while, like Jackie said, none of them are bad, it's sort of like all of them are equally bad because they do yes. have those elements in it. Yes. 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 I think they, when you land on your number, it should feel very revealing and it should feel like, oh, I feel understood. And it also should, also should feel like, ooh, I don't know that I want people to read this about me. Right. Like it should feel both. You know what I mean? And yes. then that's where the work begins is when you start to dive into both parts of it. The good, like how do we continue to grow? And then the the ugly side of us, why? Why do we do this kind of stuff? Um, but yeah, that's a great way to open that up to all nine types. Totally. Yeah, I think the uh, to give sort of a little analogy, I think the Myers-Briggs, Five Strengths, some of those other ones, even the love languages to some extent, kind of feels like uh, you're a, a blonde or a brunette. It's just, it is mm -hmm. what it is. Mm -hmm. Whereas the Enneagram is deeper to like, this is the core and the best and worst of you. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and mm -hmm. it yes. doesn't have that disconnected feel. It's deeply personal. Mm -hmm. And um, just like you mentioned your aha, aha moment about mm -hmm. the uh, frantic escapism, I had the similar reaction. So I'm a three. And when uh, when I heard about the the sort of tendency to be dishonest to yourself and others because you're trying so hard to appear uh, successful and you're trying so hard to, you know, uh, check those boxes and make everyone think you've achieved everything, um, that you lie to yourself and others to make sure that you come out with the right outcome. I just thought, oh man, that's just, it's so convicting and it's like the best and worst, you know, it's mm -hmm. that, yeah, I'm an achiever. I like that, but I don't mm -hmm. want to talk about the deceptive part of it. That's right. not, you know. Yes, I'm married to a three. I very much uh, know this one. Uh, <laughs> yes. <laughs> mm -hmm. Makes sense. All right, so we'll go through them quickly. So uh, what do you say when somebody says, well, I'm a one, what does that mean? So a one is typically called the perfectionist, um, you know, and I think that what's important to know about the one and everything around Enneagram, it's around motivation. So it's not around behavior. It's around why you're doing it. Cause a lot of us can do the same thing for different reasons. So just keep that in mind too. Um, as you're listening to the descriptions of these, but the Enneagram one, they want to be seen as good and right. And so they are fearful of making a mistake. And that really is the core of, of what motivates them to make the decisions that they make that, that could be why they are perfectionistic because they don't want to make a mistake because they don't want to be seen as wrong or corrupt or anything like that. So that would be their, their driving force behind their number. All right. And so uh, ones are part of that uh, gut triad. So they're the last number in the gut triad. Um, moving into the feeling triad, we've got the uh, Enneagram number two. So how do you describe the number twos? 
So Enneagram 2s are the love and nurturing ones. Um, they are supportive advisors. Uh, most of my 2s would rather be called that than the helper. And mm-hmm. I think it's right because oftentimes people think that 2s just want to help everybody. Um, no, they don't. They want to help the people they want to help. <laughs> and that's really important to remember, especially when you're looking at that 2 as far as like, am I that? Am I not that? If you hear that over you know, the, the broad, like just helper, I don't know that that would actually be it. You want to help the people you want to help. But they are caring and nurturing and loving. They oftentimes can sense the needs of other people before they're even spoken. Um, They want to be loved and wanted, and that's the driving force. Growing up, they felt like perhaps um, it was not okay for them to have their own needs. And so they, they looked around and thought, well, I'll meet their needs trying to get my needs met in return. And so there's a little dance that happens there. Well, and like you mentioned with the motivation part of it. So of course, all nine numbers help. As people, we have to help people from time to time. It's mm-hmm. it's a thing we all mm-hmm. have to do. But uh, like you mentioned, the motivation. So those twos are going to help in a totally different way mm-hmm. than every other Enneagram number because their inner motivation is going to be about that fulfillment. They can lean towards codependency sometimes of like, my worth is dependent on you needing me type mm-hmm. thing. Mm-hmm. Mm, that's a hard one too. That's a, a hard realization for a lot of twos. So that, you know, that codependency piece of it, but it's very real. Um, and I love that moment when my clients work through that and they're like, Oh, I don't have to do that. I'm like, you don't not from that way. You know, it's beautiful. That's right. Oh, and as I mentioned, each of these numbers sort of has that like sin or that sort of negativity that they drift towards. We want to mention those as well. So the ones, um, they tend, they're, they're part of the anger um, sort of triad. Mm-hmm. So that gut triad mm-hmm. all kind mm-hmm. of veers towards anger. Um, the core sin that the ones uh, sort of go towards, is, is that one anger specifically for them? Or it is, is that in the eights? It's anger, um, probably better better talked about as resentment. Mm. So it's kind of a bitterness, like I'm going to smile at you, even though I don't really like what you're saying to me, but I'm not going to tell you I don't like it. Mm-hmm. Then I'm going to go back and I'm be really mad that what just happened happened and I didn't say anything because I felt like I shouldn't or couldn't. Mm-hmm. And so um, that the anger just, it's a bitterness and resentment root that gets lodged. Interesting. And then the twos, mm-hmm. um, I believe mm-hmm. that one's like selfishness, right? Yep. Or pride. You'll hear pride, you know, pride, pride is the way that we'll talk about it a lot, but Mm -hmm. it's not like a puffed up pride. It's often a pride of, of, um, I don't have any needs. Mm -hmm. So I look perfect and everything looks good in my world, but I'll lean in and I'll help you and your needs. Mm -hmm. So it's really a pride for not having needs. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's not true. It's just a protective barrier around like, I don't want to be seen as needy. So I will help mm-hmm. you hoping again, I'm going to get some of my needs met in return. Mm, I see. All right. And then threes, as I mentioned, I am definitely a three off the charts. Three I've taken several uh, of mm-hmm. the Enneagram tests. And, and honestly, like you said, when I heard about it, I felt embarrassed, ashamed, convicted, it felt like someone was reading pages out of my journal and was like, oh, yeah, this this must be me. Uh, so you want to give a, a little uh, overview of what the three is all about? So the, the three is the achiever, 100% achiever, driver, let's go after it, fastest way from point A to point B. Um, and so, you know, a lot of what they're 
their motivation is, is if you think I'm successful and I'm achieving that I must be worth something. And so at the bottom of that three, there is a, there is a fear of worthlessness of like, I'm only worthy if I am achieving something. I'm only worthy if people think that I am whatever it is, whatever, you know, field of practice you're in. That's what they would try to climb that ladder, hoping to be seen as um, valuable to the organization or relationship. And so, and that stems from just that messaging in childhood that it's not okay to have um, your own identity. And so a lot of times in early childhood, great family, a lot of times it's a great family. It's not, you know, anything, but it's like, this is the way that our family shows up. So this is the way you need to show up. And so in that there's not a lot of room for self um, exploration. It's just achieving. This is what I need to do because this is, this is what the value system is within our home. Um, And so I'm going to learn to do that. Mm, Yes, definitely. So as we talked about the three different ones so far, Mm -hmm. it's like, where do they see value in themselves? Ones see value in themselves as being correct and right. Mm -hmm. They've they've got it perfect. Two see value in themselves in what they bring to others, how they help, how badly they're needed. And Mm -hmm. then threes, it's like my value is dependent upon my GPA, my job, my uh, salary, my whatever, whatever Mm -hmm. it is, the achievement part of that. And it it can come out as competitive sometimes in sports or in other things. I have zero athletic ability, so that is not where you will see it for me. Uh, but in all threes, you're still going to see that sort of my worth is dependent on my achievements type thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It's a hard one, huh? Like when you start to unpack it, you're like, oh, I didn't think that that was the case. And, right. you know, yeah. Totally. All right. And then moving on to four, that's the last one in this feeling triad. Um, How do you describe the fours? So fours are, um, they are, they're creatives. And so when, but I'd like to say at the broadest word, like at the broadest sense of that word creative. So it's not like you have to play mute, like an instrument or painter or dance or anything like that. Everybody is creative. Every, every human being is creative. Even if you are, you know, in the science, you know, into science or math, those numbers are in formulas are all very creative. I don't understand half of them, but, um, but all of that stuff. So when I, when I think about the creatives, they are deep feelers. They want to be seen as unique, uh, and they want to stand out that way. They are not willing to compromise. Like a three is a little bit different where they're like, I will adapt and I will be what's needed. The four is like, I will be who I am. And I will, you know, half expect people to not appreciate who I am. So I'm going to be, and I use the word prickly. I'm going to be a little bit prickly because I, I, kind of I'm gearing myself up for some rejection. Mm -hmm. And so we'll see that with a four where they do seem a little bit more moody, a little bit more introspective, all of those things. Part of it is just the, their protective layer of, I am different. I am unique. I see the world differently. Um, but I am fearful that other people will not accept me that way. So I'm going to come in a little guarded. And sort of also, I think that that need to be seen can come off as prickly. Like you said, I really mm-hmm. like that where they're not just going to go with the flow like a three. They're not going to hide and just help like a two. They're going to make sure you know exactly who they are and how different and unique and special they are for whatever reason that may be. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yes. And their signature sin is envy. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, this is not like, oh, my gosh, I want that red Corvette. That's not it for them. They envy the ease of other people's lives. 
Mm -hmm. So if I just had it a little, you know, if I had a little bit more talent, if I had a little bit more of this, I, if I was a little bit more like them, maybe my life would be easier. Mm -hmm. And that's where that envy piece really shows up. Mm. Yeah, definitely. And then how they fit into the feeling triad. Um, so often those fours can kind of wallow and get into that, uh, that hole. And so one of the analogies that I really liked from this book, from The Road Back to You, um, he talks about how the four, uh, a four who was a new father had, uh, like had a baby and needed to buy a, a, like a stroller for the baby. And so the mom's going, okay, we want the cheapest one. We want the half price on sale, this one type thing. And the dad's like, well, couldn't we be more creative and unique and special and so he gets this fancy british pram which mm -hmm. has way too many parts and next thing you know he's sitting on the floor in a sea of uh pieces and just cannot figure out how to put it together and is feeling totally worthless and horrible because he cannot figure out how to put it together mm -hmm. uh, and so that's sort of that signature four where they want so badly to be seen as like special and unique and different but when it doesn't work out they are get they get deep in their feelings in a way that you probably won't see from other numbers on the Enneagram. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yes. All, All very right. true. <laughs> yeah. So then uh, let's move on to the five. So that's getting into the next triad. That uh, fear triad is what Road Back to You calls it. But as Jackie mentioned, the thinking triad is another way to think about that one. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So um, how do we talk about fives? So fives are, are investigative thinkers. They love to gather information. Um, and that's a, one of the ways that they have learned to keep themselves safe. It's like, let me gather information. Let me store everything um, towards myself. Let me make my world small. So they fear that the world is a scary place. It's a big and unpredictable place um, and that their needs are not going to be met. And so therefore, they will make their needs small and try to be able to create a world that they can meet their own needs by themselves. So they don't like to have to need outside support. And so they are very private people. They typically um, like a lot of alone time. And they, it doesn't mean they're, it does not mean that they have to be introverted though. I think that that's really an important piece because I've met plenty of threes that have an extroverted side to them. And I think oftentimes we just think they're introverted, quiet, private people, uh, it would depend on subtypes, which we're definitely not going to go into that today because that's a whole nother, you know, right, right, right. but, um, but when it, when we break it down, there's different ways that the numbers show up. It's like a spectrum of color, right? So there's lots of different shades of blue. So it's kind of like that. So it really depends on where the five falls, falls on that spectrum of how introverted or extroverted they are, but they do typically like a lot of alone time. They like to know what's expected of them and they are pretty rigid. So they don't necessarily like to just get up and go. They're not super spontaneous. You know, if they're in a really healthy environment, they might be able to be a little bit more spontaneous, but typically they like to know what is expected of them. You know, so if you're in a meeting, like what's the agenda? How long do I have to be here? You said it was over at noon. People, please stop asking questions. This is never going to end. That's what's <laughs> happening in the head of a five, like stop talking. Right. Yeah. Right. Right. And then uh, that course in of the fives. The core sin of the five is greed. And again, this is a little bit different. It's not like I want to have all the things. It is all about, I want to have all the resources I need to keep myself safe and protected. So it is very much about storing up for themselves. It is not about having big flashy things. You know, a lot of the times fives are very, very wealthy and they drive a car that's, you know, 30 years old. They could buy a brand new whatever, but they choose not to because they would rather know that they have money in the bank. 
Interesting. And so that that kind of ties into that fear triad of there's not enough. And so mm-hmm. you got to kind of mm-hmm. gather, hoard, you know, hold on to type thing. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's kind of how that fits into that fear triad of fear of the big world, the unknown, all of that. Right. So you got to gather and, and hold on tightly. Um, so the road back to you, the story, so that's kind of the, the book is he goes through the different types and then he gives little stories that are, are really sweet and just really easy to understand of like, oh, I know somebody like that kind of, you know, jog mm-hmm. your, your thinking. So I, I like the story of the five where you've got this, uh, I think he's like an attorney, somebody who makes hundreds of dollars an hour and his printer breaks his like, you know, just normal laser jet desktop printer breaks. And so as a three, I would be like, what's the cheapest, fastest, quickest way to mm-hmm. repair this type thing? Whereas the five is like down the rabbit hole, researching the history of the printer mm-hmm. since the beginning of time all the way through now, spends an entire day learning about printers, and then ultimately spends more of his like $200 an hour time on this project than the printer was worth to begin with. He could have just bought a new printer for less than you know mm-hmm. he made. But that's kind of what the fives are. Gather information, learn as much as you can. You may or may not even apply it, but it's just about gathering knowledge. You want to have that understanding. Mm-hmm. They know a, they know a little about a lot is mm-hmm. another way that we've talked about fives is they just, because they, anything they hear, they're like, Ooh, let me go Google it. Let me search it. Let me search it. Mm-hmm. So they just know a little about a lot. So I have a, I have a friend, the one that gave me the book from, you know, 10 years ago, mm-hmm. she's a five and, um, I had locked my kids, my, my husband and I went, we were like three hours away at a speaking event and my kids came home from school and I, locked the house and didn't think about them not having a key and they couldn't get in. And so I was like, I called her. I was like, Hey, do you think that you can go MacGyver the house? Can you get into my house? And so she went over there. She's like, I got you. And she figured out how to get in, break into the house and everything. But she's that type of girl that just any question we have, we're like, the fridge isn't working. Okay. Go behind the fridge and look at these wires, anything, (laughs) anything and everything. So yes, that five brain is just amazing. Mm, Yeah. Yeah, yeah, that's great. All right, and then uh, next we've got the six, which is the second one in this uh, thinking, fearing triad. Um, so how do we talk about the sixes? So they're loyal guardian guardians is what they would say, loyal guardians. So um, when we think about that, they, you know, a lot of what happens with the six is they want to know that they can trust people. And so they are cautious on who they connect to and attach themselves to. So they may take a little while to vet you to figure out if you're their person or, or if this organization is what they believe in, or this institution is something that they can buy into. But they really want to know that they are attaching themselves to something that is safe, reliable, and can stand the test of time. And so that has a lot to do with their decision making. They um, they are fearful. You know, they feel like. Um, they, they're just not sure if, you know, what is safe, what is not. So there's a lot of questions around how, how they do things. They tend to, I oftentimes say that they are the break to a lot of our gas pedals and, you know, in the business world. So they are the ones that are asking questions, slowing things down. Um, but what they, at the end of the day, they want to know that they are safe. So safe within their job, safe within their relationship, safe within their community. Uh, that's what they're looking for, safety and security. So all about mitigating risk, personally, professionally, that kind of thing. Yes, yes. Mm -hmm. And the core sin with the six? The core sin is fear. 
um, but it often looks like anxiety with a six. Mm-hmm. And I have to say that that in this triad, because five, six, seven, that's an anxiety triad. Mm-hmm. Um, we talk about them a little different where the, the two, three, four is shame. Mm-hmm. Um, five, six, seven is anxiety and eight, nine, one is anger. Okay. Mm-hmm. So when we look at this anxiety triad, they all have a different way of suppressing anxiety. So five is gather resources and information and six is, um, vetting everything, mm-hmm. you know, to make sure that they're making the best decision for them. So that's how they, they kind of mask the anxiety. They can also go into, to go mode where they get more, they get busier. Um, you know, they, they overextend themselves, things like that too, to try to, you know, just calm that anxiety that they're feeling, but that fear turns into anxiety for them. Mm. And, you know, I look at the sixes very similar to some of the stoicism books that we have talked about on this podcast. So we've, we've talked about some Ryan Holiday books and some of the other like stoicism ones. And a big part of stoicism is thinking about the worst case scenarios. And that um, I've found is, is one of those things that sixes towards sort of gravitate towards is thinking about how things could go wrong and for better, for worse. So you can see that show up in uh, like the staff meetings where you've got that one person who's like, well, what if this happens? What if that happens? You know, where everybody's excited to do something, but there's always that one person that's like, here's how it could possibly go wrong. And mm-hmm. that's sort of what I think of when I think of the sixes, where they're afraid and not just sitting with the fear, but they're in like sort of envisioning it coming to fruition. Right. Mm-hmm. So sometimes and, it's helpful, but you know. Right. Actively trying to find a way for them to not find themselves in the problem, mm. like actively. So a lot of the times with the sixes that I work with and other sixes I've talked to, uh, I think the most helpful thing is for with a six, let yourself go all the way there, worst case scenario, and walk yourself back. You're going to have to do that, and it's okay. So for all of us that are not sixes, to be patient with somebody that needs to walk all the way to the end of the problem and come back. That's just hard, you know, part of it. So when we tell them they can't, that's going to cause more frustration, probably a little bit of angst, and we might see some behavior um, that we don't like so much mm-hmm. when we don't allow them to process all the way. Right. And I feel like sixes are those ones who are who would point out all the problems. And so you say, okay, I guess we just won't do anything. And they're like, well, here's the problem with not doing that. Like, you know, right. That kind yes. of thing. We're not saying you shouldn't do it. We're just right. saying let's look at the risk and best best way, you know, best practices. That's what they really want. Best practices. Totally. All right. And then the uh, next one we've got is sevens. So they are the last in that thinking, fear, anxiety Mm -hmm. triad. Uh, And Jackie's already said she's a seven. So I'm looking forward to hearing all about it. Oh my goodness. Uh, So we are the enthusiasts of the Enneagram and we do go into the world and look for all the fun things. You know, we spend a lot more time forward, you know, futuristic thinking than we do present thinking. So we anticipate uh, all the fun things that could happen. And then when they actually happen, we're like, oh, oh, now it's kind of over. I kind of like the anticipation more than I like what was actually happening, Uh, which is a problem, I have to say. But uh, the, the Enneagram 7, you know, they grew up with the messaging that you can't trust anyone for anything. And they really, really want to know that they're going to be taken care of. And so when you understand those messages around a seven, it looks a whole lot different than what people think of as sevens. Mm -hmm. You know, people are like, Oh, sevens are just fun and carefree and energetic and jumping out of planes. And I'm like, not when they're healthy, they're not, you know, they understand that all of that is around keeping themselves upbeat, happy, positive, not looking at what's realistic um, and being grounded. And so there's lots of work 
for all of us to do. When I look at the seven, do my own work, I'm like, oh, there's been a lot of work around grounding myself and finishing what I start and understanding that all emotions are appropriate and okay. Um, sevens run from any of the hard emotions. They they don't want to be disappointed, sad, stuck, lonely. And so they just are, they don't really let themselves go there. Silver lining, you know, when, when Ian talks about in this book around the silver lining, that he's like, I've got silver linings in my pocket. Mm-hmm. When I read that, I was like, oh, that's probably me yeah everything's <laughs> going to be okay turn it all you know reframe reframe mm-hmm. turn it all to a positive but when we look at that their signature sin is gluttony mm-hmm. and so it's not like i want to eat all the donuts and drink all the wine although sometimes maybe but that's not really it it's more around this idea of like i am never fully satisfied um and as a christian apart from from christ i am never fully satisfied so it's always looking for that next thing that's going to fill me up that that's going to keep me happy and joyful and, you know, in whatever that looks like. I thought it was interesting too in his book, he talks about the seven being uh, the most prone to um, addiction. Mm. And I was like, Ooh, I don't like that, but I can see why, you know, I can, I can understand the constant need for feeling stimulated, the constant need for escapism. And if we're not healthy and we get down to those lower levels and we stay down there too long, we're going to medicate. We all medicate. Um, but the seven will sit in that medicating stage for a long time because it, it helps them to numb out any pain. So deep stuff, but yeah, I liked the way that he described that in the book. Definitely. And so that's one of those interesting connections between the three and the seven. And, you know, as a three, I could see myself also being that silver linings person. But typically it's because I'm trying to get something done. (laughs) So it's Mm -hmm. like I need Mm -hmm. you to do this and you're in your feelings. So I'm going to give you the silver lining and then I'm going to need you to keep going, you know, kind of thing. (laughs) Whereas for the seven, it's more like, you know, we'll be okay because I need you to feel good so I can feel good and we can both feel good Mm -hmm. together kind of thing. Yes. 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 For the seven, it's about like, don't bring me down to those lower emotions, mm-hmm. whatever you do, mm-hmm. um, which is not healthy. You guys, that is not a healthy way to live. Mm-hmm. All emotions are appropriate and all emotions tell us something about ourselves. So avoiding emotions, is not a good idea, mm-hmm. but that's what we do as sevens. That's right. And again, mm-hmm. threes will also avoid emotions, mm-hmm. but typically yes. to get something done. <laughs> so yes. again, yes, <laughs> I know. And that's the thing with the, right. with the three, seven combination. Cause that's my husband and I, uh, with that we've had a, do a ton of work on emotional connection Mm -hmm. because both of us don't want to go to those deep places. So it's like, we have fun. We have a fun marriage, but emotionally connected. We've had to do an incredible amount of work on that. We've been married for 23 years this year. Mm -hmm. Um, and it's been, you know, a hard journey because we both have a tendency to, to live outside of that space. Mm-hmm. And just go after achieving or doing or fun or whatever it is, mm-hmm. um, and not connecting and feeling all the feelings. And so you're right with that three, they do avoid emotions because emotions typically don't get them where they want to go. So they're more task based individuals like that, uh, those emotions, I see them and I'm going to be kind to you about them, but they're not going to help us get where we're going. So right. stop it. Right. You know, but you're yes. not going to say that to somebody, but that's yeah. part of it. Like, 
okay, I can endure this for a couple minutes <laughs> right. as long as I can get them to go where I want them to go, you know? Totally. Um, yes. Yeah. Those pesky feelings, they will <laughs> yes. hold you down. <laughs> uh, yes. So my husband and I have been, we'll be, have, we'll have been married 15 years coming up here pretty soon. Congratulations. Thank you. And congratulations on 23. Um, and so my husband's a one. And so I like to say that our, our marriage motto is let's do this. And then in parentheses, correctly, like that's, that's <laughs> That's amazing. Oh my gosh. There's so many parts of the Enneagram too, that, um, that this is just kind of scratching the surface for people. Just even reading this book is just a scratch of the surface of, of the true depth that the Enneagram holds that is different than Myers-Briggs and some of the other tests that are all great tests too. But there's, um, there's just parts like even talking about you, your husband and you, the numbers that you are, the one, three, five, mm-hmm. they're in a different group and they're more task-based and, uh, they don't, they don't operate from emotion. So there's some beauty in that for you guys, you know, Oh my gosh, I could talk for hours about this stuff, but so, you know, with the road back to you, I think it is a great resource, a great starting point, um, for curiosity, but it is not, not at all the end point as far as journeying into yourself with the Enneagram. But, um, I, I love the way that he unpacks all of this for us. So, you know, even reading the numbers, has been helpful, but a lot of my clients use this book too, Mm -hmm. as the beginning of um, their journey. So I know that just, I went off on you on that one. All good. good. No, there's just so many parts of the Enneagram, you know, that I'm like, Oh, that's not in this book. It's not covered in this book, but I could tell you why. That's right. And there are, there are so many other books too. Road back to you is just one of many on the Enneagram. So like you Mm -hmm. said, great place to start. All right. And we Mm -hmm. got two more numbers. So I want to make sure we squeeze them in. So we've got the eights. Yes, the AIDS protective challengers, um, they are fierce. AIDS are fierce. You know, sometimes they get a bad rap because they are intense. You can usually feel their energy. I know that might sound weird to some people, but you've met, you've been in rooms that you're like, oh, they feel really big in this room. Like that person feels like they take up the whole space in this room. That's kind of what I mean by that. You can feel the energy of an eight. They're just, they are uh, visionaries. They are driven. They are fast paced. They probably have the most energy of any number on the Enneagram. Um, they care about justice. They are protective challengers, though. They grew up feeling like, uh, you know, this, I can't, again, a little bit like a seven, like I can't trust anybody. Um, and so I'm going to have to protect myself and I don't want to be betrayed. And I always like to go a little bit further on that betrayed because I work with a lot of eights in corporate positions. And so in that they don't want to be betrayed, made to look stupid, dumb, incompetent in any way. And so, you know, it's really big for them. The way that they are perceived really, really matters. And that is an interesting concept for a lot of eights to think about, because I think people think the threes are the ones that are adaptable. They're the ones that change. Um, yes, threes are adaptable. Threes change and, and they can figure out what's needed in the environment, which I think is a beautiful, beautiful gift. But, you know, just like Ian talks about this in this book where, you know, your gift can be your curse. Mm-hmm. He talks about that in this book. That's one of those things, like all of the really great things about us can also be some of the most detrimental parts about us too. Mm-hmm. But with the, the eight, they are I always say that they are image crafters. They they know how they want to be perceived. And so that is what they craft is an image that helps them to um, be seen in that way so they can achieve whatever it is they're going after and protect themselves and the people they care about. Mm. 
Yeah, and uh, I know that they talk about the eights being the ones that are really passionate about particular causes. And so mm -hmm. you would see some similarities with the ones in that the ones yes. are all about following the rules, doing it correctly kind of a mm -hmm. thing. Eights, you'll see some of that, but only about causes that are near and dear to them, typically in the areas mm -hmm. of fairness, justice, uh, those kinds of big mm -hmm. social causes. And they're the ones that are going to rally people together, lead them towards caring and doing something about things that are deeply significant. Right. Mm -hmm. You'll see that one, six, eight, I'll have that, um, that component. And the six and the eight, you'll hear about an underdog, like they mm -hmm. want to help protect the underdog. That's six, eight. Um, the, the one maybe has that in it sometimes, but it's more about a particular cause too. Mm -hmm. um, seeing the bigger, you know, the bigger part that they can play in the world, they can make things right. They can do mm -hmm. things better. They can help make something better. Mm -hmm. So some similarities, even between those numbers, one, six, eight, sometimes they're mistyped because of this passion that you're talking about. Mm -hmm. And then that core sin for the eights. The course in for the eight is always a pretty one to talk about lust and everybody loves it when we talk about that one. They're like, what? Mm -hmm. But it's not necessarily like a sexual lust, um, although it could be, but it's not typically that. It's a lustiness about the way that they go after what they want in this world. It's like grabby, like I want it. I want it now. I want to be satisfied. I'm going to take what I want. And so there's kind of a forcefulness around this eight going after what they want with passion. Um, and so again, it could be a good thing. Right, the passion and the drive is great, except when it gets distorted and it becomes um, an unhealthy drive towards something. Uh, you know, not within reason. You're not thinking at the, about the people, perhaps that um, the toll it's going to take on families to accomplish this this vision that you have. Things like that. So it's really this lusty passion to go after what they want. Mm, and and uh, like you said, at the expense of others. So that bulldozer type thing where they're the yes. ones who are going to push over anyone who comes in their way and, and at any cost things must be right we have to correct the world mm -hmm. uh in when it comes to those very particular sort of things they're passionate about type right thing. Mm -hmm. Interesting. All right. And then last one we've got our nines our our peacemakers or uh yes. do you have another name for those? No, I love the peacemaker. I love, I love calling it the peacemaker. Uh, you know, I, I, this is the vision I have. I don't know why I think this, but I always think like nines at the top of the, the symbol of the Enneagram. I think of them as owls, their heads can go all the way around. You know, I just think like, this is what I, they see all sides of a situation. They're incredibly wise and intuitive. And so they're in that gut triad. So they do instinctually feel what's happening, even if they don't speak up. Um, you know, they, they grew up in environments typically where they felt like they couldn't assert themselves for whatever reason. And so they, they didn't, you know, they had a lot of feelings or ideas or thoughts and, and stuff, but it, they didn't necessarily feel like they could just give it freely into spaces. And so, you know, what they really want to know is that their presence matters and that their voice matters. However, it's really hard for them. They, they oftentimes have fallen into rhythms and patterns in their life that are predictable. You know, I do have some nines that will push back and be like, I don't like predictability. And I'm like, okay. Um, but you know, if I were to them a little bit, we'd probably see some patterns of predictability mm -hmm. that they, that they love as far as, you know, rhythm of, of how their day goes or whatever that is. Most nines like to find a pattern that they can kind of fall asleep to. And that's what we go into that signature sin for them, which is sloth, which um, I always think it's so interesting. I'm like, can we find a different word that describes this better? Because, you know, they're like, what does that even mean? And it doesn't mean lazy. It just means falling asleep to self. 
And that's really what we have to watch out for the nines. You know, that are you falling asleep to, to yourself being what other people want? Are you falling asleep to yourself because you want peace in your environment? Because that's what you really, you know, harm, like they, they want an environment that's harmonious and peaceful. Mm-hmm. That's what they're looking for. And so trying to keep that often causes them to not assert themselves, not speak up, not say what they want or need so much so that they don't, they stop developing in some of those areas of what they do want and they, what they do need. They, they're like, I don't know what I want for dinner. Or I don't know what I think about that. Um, and the push for them is like, no, but I want you to think about it. It's okay for you to have a want. It's okay for you to have a thought, an idea, and a need. In all of this, it's okay. you know. And that's beautiful when nines get to a place where they're like, I do have a thought about how I want this to look, or I do actually have an opinion about what I want for dinner. Um, but it will take the people around them listening mm-hmm. and being patient and allowing for them to, to awaken that part of themselves. Yeah. Well, and it's it's interesting that the nines are in that gut, that anger triad, because as we're talking about peacemakers, we're talking about sort of sleepwalking through life or uh, that sloth that, you know, pulling back, just kind of going through the motions. This doesn't feel like a fit with the anger or the guts of the ones who are going to correct the world or the eights who are going to fix the world. Uh, So how does the nine fit into that triad? The, the anger is often pushed down and comes out sideways is how I would say it. It is often suppressed to the point that they erupt or um, they get passive aggressive. And, and so, you know, maybe the people closest to them actually see anger, but the people on the outside don't. Mm-hmm. You know, the other part of around that anger piece, I think, is a stubbornness or neglect or um, procrastination mm-hmm. could all be forms of anger where they're going to control something, but they're they're not going to outwardly express it. They're gonna they're gonna just shut down. They're gonna inwardly hold back. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, now there are some nines that that can express their anger and the way that they do it. Oftentimes, though, it, it's pretty passive aggressive, mm-hmm. um, shoved down to a place that they finally are erupt. Interesting. And so, like, as we mentioned, all of these numbers, um, it's not so much what you do, but why you do it. That's one of the quotes right. from the book. And that's just a real I mean, all the books that you that were that are mm-hmm. on the Enneagram are going to express that same thing. Um, so, I mean, I think to some extent, every human has to come to those places of suppressing emotions. Sometimes some, you know, mm-hmm. we just can't feel everything all the time. It's just not right. appropriate. No one would get anything done in that way. Um, but for nines, the way that they suppress emotions and why they do it uh, is going to be very different than the other numbers. So for them, it is that that peacemaking part of it. It's how do I keep everyone harmony? How do I keep mm-hmm. everyone happy? So it's not like the seven. It's not about fun. It's not about the three. It's not about getting stuff done. It's more about keeping everybody uh, copacetic with one another, mm-hmm. I guess. Right. Yes, mm-hmm. Absolutely. All right. So I think we are now at that part where we rate the book. Um, we talk about why. So, um, Jackie, what do you what, how do you rate on a scale of one to five uh, the road back to you? 
I would rate that this book a three. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think it's a great book. So I think it's a it's a great starter, like I said earlier. And I've sat under Ann Crone's teaching with Beatrice Chestnut at a conference that they hosted. And he's great. He lives here in my hometown. Oh. He's great as a human being. Um, but I think he would say the same thing. This is a great starting point. So read the book. Start you know, exploring about the number. But don't get stuck. And this is what I would say. Don't, don't get trapped in like... This this is what the task said. So this is what I have to be. Mm-hmm. That is the part that I'm like, no, no, no. I do a lot of work with a lot of people and we do work around being mistyped. Mm-hmm. This book does come up a handful of, um, you know, with a handful of my clients, this book has come up as a part of like, Oh, when I read this book, I really resonated with this. But as I dive deeper into it, I really think perhaps I'm, I'm a different number. Mm-hmm. And so, and he would, and I believe Ian would say the same thing. Um, it is a good starting point, but the narrative approach to the Enneagram is probably the best approach, which is a slow approach of reading and reading and reading, researching and researching and researching. So, you know, if you take a test, the top three scores of the test is what I would start to look at. And, uh, and everything is around motivation, why you do it, not how you're doing it. Because just like you described a couple of times today in, in the way that we look at the different numbers, like the 937, avoiding conflict, and we would do it for different reasons, you know. All the all the numbers can do the same, have similar behavior, but it's the motivation why that we're looking at. So with this book, I think it's a three. I think it's a great read. I like the way that he writes. Um, it is engaging. It is informative. But I don't want you to stop there. Makes sense. Now, if you wanted to recommend people a five when it comes to the Enneagram, if there was a five star uh, Enneagram book, what what do you think that one would be? So my favorite is the Wisdom of the Enneagram. Mm. It's my favorite. Um, I use it to teach a lot. Uh, you know, I, I teach a lot out of that book. I think it is um, insightful and informative. Um, I just think that one is a great, great resource and tool. That's great. Who wrote that one? That one's Don Rizzo and Russ Hudson. Okay. All right. We'll be sure to include a link to that one in the show notes as well. So you've got a couple of different uh, options for for getting into the Enneagram. Um, I'm going to actually give this book a five out of five uh, bookmarks. And I give them very rarely on this show. But Mm -hmm. I feel like I have no choice but to give it a five because, well, A, it's one of my favorites. I have given it to people. I recommend Mm -hmm. it to people. I, I, it has everything that I look for in nonfiction books, which, which is all we talk about on this show. Uh, it's useful. It's fascinating. Mm-hmm. It's immediately relevant and useful. Um, that's what I'm looking for in, in nonfiction books. Um, e- empathy. If there was mm-hmm. one book that I tell people will help you grow with empathy and understanding people around you, it is the road back to you, hands down. Uh, the love languages, I think, is similar in that it helps you with the question of like, I'm trying so hard. Why are my efforts not being appreciated? I think mm-hmm. it's great for that. But this book is more than just like the interpersonal relationship thing um, in the workplace, in marriages, in families, in all these different dynamics. There's so many ways that the Enneagram shows up to where people will do something or say something or feel something. And you're going I don't understand you at all. I cannot Mm -hmm. 
envision how you would come to that conclusion or why you would say that or do that. And the Enneagram just gives you this lens of, oh, I see. It's because for you, the most important thing is this. And even though that's not the most important thing to me, it is to you. And I mean, that's kind of the Enneagram as a whole. But right. the road back to you just, uh, I really liked the stories that mm-hmm. Ian uh, and Susan have told in the book. It makes it really simple. It doesn't feel mystical and weird. It doesn't mm-hmm. feel hard mm-hmm. to comprehend. It doesn't feel like you need a degree. You can just breeze through this book, get an overview and get started, like you said. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I like it. So if it's a getting started book, five. Mm-hmm. Ah, is that yeah. fair? There, is totally that fair? fair? Yep. It's getting yep. started book five. Sure. I just want you to keep going. Um, yeah. cause I agree with you. Yeah. Everything that you just said about this book, I agree with you as far as the ease of it, you know, it does feel, um, very attainable like it does. And I, and I, for me, the way that I love to teach the Enneagram, I want it to be actionable. I want you to do something with it. And he does prompt at the end of every number, there's 10 prompts on, on ways for you to start activating, you know, the information into your world. And so I do like that too. So I'll, I'll go with you. I'll give it up, but I want you to keep, I want you to keep exploring. <laughs> Fair enough. Yeah. If you already know your Enneagram number yeah. and you already have a familiarity with it, then like Jackie said, it's probably a mm-hmm. three. It's not the mm-hmm. best of the best when it comes to yeah. Enneagram books, but if you're just getting started, great, great one to start with. So. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. And now yeah. this book, it was released in 2016. Since then, it's sold over a million copies. Mm-hmm. You will hear about the road back to you in churches, on uh, lots of different organization or corporate campuses, as they try to have everybody understand where do you fall on this spectrum and sort of helping to um, help people understand themselves better and what they need to work on. But then also understanding other people. And, and that shows up in the workplace that shows up in relationships. So, mm-hmm. uh, like I said, you lots of churches, schools, organizations have adopted this framework and kind of put it to use. Um, Today, Suzanne Stabile is a highly sought after speaker and she's a world-class teacher of the Enneagram. And Ian Morgan Cron is an Episcopal priest and a trained psychotherapist. Uh, He hosts a podcast called Typology and he's also a highly sought after speaker for conferences, that kind of thing. And, um, And every year, more and more people just like Jackie are becoming certified Enneagram coaches. So similar to sort of a life coach type thing, Mm -hmm. but with this lens of the Enneagram. Right. Yeah. So that's the update on the title and the authors. And um, Jackie, so if people want to connect with you and all of the great work that you do on the Enneagram, what's the best way for them to uh, connect with you? So I I do a lot on Instagram and that is um, Enneagram with JB. So that is, you can talk to me, DM me on that. I really like to, you know, hear from my people on that um, platform. So I enjoy that. Facebook, I'm on it too. I do not engage as well. So if you want, if you're trying to talk to me, Instagram is probably the best way to go. Uh, I have a website, which is Enneagram with JB. Um, You can see all the different resources I have, as well as how to sign up with coaching and things like that through through that website. And then I have a book out right now, which is called Hearing God Speak, a 52-week Enneagram devotion which is absolutely stunning and I'm so thrilled that I was able to be a part of that with uh, my co-author Eve Anziato. I have a, a project coming out March 29th which is Enneagram Essentials which is so neat. It is this box of Enneagram and it has, goes through six different um, categories and in Pretty much if you are not a book lover, like you don't love to read a whole book, but you really want the the nuggets, this 
card deck could be a great, again, starting point for Enneagram. It is not, you know, it is not going to be the end point at all, but a great start point. Um, So any of those resources or ways you can find me. Awesome. Well, thank you so much. And we will be sure to have uh, links in the show notes to everything you mentioned. So your Instagram, your website, and the products that you've got. So um, that is great. Thank you so much for sharing. And thanks for being on the show. This was really great. Thanks so much for having me. Yeah, yeah, great job. And as always, we always mention, uh, be sure to check out the Book Insights episode on the road back to you. That's going to be, a, uh, like I said, a more in-depth analysis of the book. And be sure to check out the 10-point memo. So we've got one that's all of the, just the 10 points, just those nuggets of what this is all about, uh, what the road back to you uh, symbolizes and means, and how you can uh, save it, share it, all of that good stuff on, on memoed uh, in the shortest form possible. It's like a two-minute read if you just want to uh, have a quick point of reference for what the road back to you is all about all right thank you again for being here and i hope folks will tune in again on youtube or on any of the podcast platforms every wednesday we talk about a new nonfiction book all right thanks again 